Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Quinnell. She's trying to find some flared leggings this week. <laughs> That's hilarious. A great pick. Um, I was reading somewhere that some of the young people, I guess we're not the young people anymore, so the young people that aren't us, um, <laughs> be calling yoga pants flared leggings. <laughs> oh i did see that okay and then i was at the store and i found these really really cute like halloween leggings and i was like oh these are great but i wish that they were flared <laughs> and it's like oh no <laughs> um so yeah i've decided that that's the thing that, I, that i'm going to abide by well i hope you found them we are joined today oh you didn't oh well <laughs> We, we are joined today by a, a very special guest. Special guest, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Taya Strauss. Should I do like a longer one? No, that's perfect. Uh, you are a writer at Scratch Cinema who had written something that went up today about Bly Manor that I had read and really liked. And so we, we thought for our Bly Manor conversation, it would be lovely to have you join us. Yeah, I'm excited to be on this. What 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 was your connection to the show? Had you seen Haunting of Hill House before or any other Mike Flanagan things or what made you want to write about it? I had seen Hill House and I really liked it. And I wrote an article on that too a while back. Jeez, that was almost like four years ago now, I want to say that Hill House was a thing. I think. Like three okay. or four. Yeah, what it, here's here's the real we're gonna have to ask everyone this. Which did you like better, Hill House or Bly Manor? I think I liked Hill House better just because of how it was a little bit more scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Quinnell? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what qualified better? Well, um, that's, that's the thing. They're very different. This one was much more sentimental in some ways, even though Mike Flanagan already has a lot of heart in a lot of his things. This I one was like towards think the I end. was attached to the characters of Hill House. Oh, really? Why? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just think that, I don't know. They never solidified themselves in my understanding of them as people I wanted to protect. Like I just didn't feel, I just, I didn't feel that, that connection where I just didn't want anything bad to happen to them, to any of them. I, and I felt that way about Hill House. I was you know, because, you know, you know, don't really know which characters are going to fall at the beginning. And I actually think, eh, blanket spoiler alert that Chase says that we have to do for you guys, you listeners. Um, I feel like the intro is really misleading because you kind of see everybody's face disappear. And so, you know, taking that into consideration for a while, I thought maybe everyone would die. And I just didn't know in which order or I didn't know which particular characters were going to die. When it started to seem like we were running out of time to kill everybody off, I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just think that I was definitely more attached in each episode to every character. And I was, I was on the edge of my seat trying to just care for them as opposed to being on the edge of my seat because I was truly deeply frightened like I was with Hill House. That's fair. I think they each both have their their own strengths and we won't go into Hill House as much. And it only was two years ago. I guess time just passes much more oh, yeah. quickly these days. Um, but yeah, what I, what I had liked about Bly Manor was kind of what you had written about in your piece was that kind of real not sappy even though some people might feel like it is but that real connection to everyone and their love for each other like they're 
there was a villain at times, but most everyone, it was about, oh, they all just really deeply care for someone and how that love plays out kind of functions in different ways, if, if that makes any sense. What, what was it about kind of that love that stuck out to you and made you write the, the piece kind of about it? I just thought it was really interesting how in depth they went with all of the different kinds of relationships and just how everybody dealt with their loss differently through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gets real sad with some of that loss towards the end, especially Hannah's plot, especially episode five, Quinnell and I had been talking about it, where it was her bouncing around through time. <gasps> that That really started to hurt because... Okay, since we've done the full spoiler warning, I had picked up on the fact that Hannah was not alive for a while and they were not having her eat. She was frequently disappearing. Mm-hmm. There was one moment where it kind of threw me where he does have her eat some of the batter and does one of his horrible puns. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute, how did that happen? And I was like, oh yeah, this timeline is all over the place. This happened before she died. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it it was that that type of horror movie or I guess horror-esque story where it's a person that doesn't know they're dead yet but is struggling with that loss and almost living in denial even as a ghost Ooh, it was a lot I don't know Quinnell when you watched that episode five which you I think confused with like the second episode well, yeah well, I think I thought it was episode three and then I got I went back and I was like oh no I've, I'm far deeper into this than I thought what were you feeling when you were watching that one I was just, well, pure unadulterated stress, first of all. Um, And I really, I don't know, I sort of respected Hannah's lack of acknowledgement and commitment to having been dead. She was just very busy. She just had other things to worry about. And that seemed so consistent with her, her character. I almost, I really didn't want her to snap out of it. I wanted her her will to rival Viola's, honestly. Um, I was really saddened by, like, the way that her relationship with Owen sort of became this place that she went back to. It was really interesting to me that when all the characters... This is sort of gets a little bit into other characters who are dead, but when they're tucked away... The only character who has to go somewhere miserable is the worst character. And everywhere else gets to go somewhere pleasant. Sometimes. There are also scary parts of it, but they always go back to the better place. Yeah, like the place that they that they find themselves in over and over again. Like this moment seems to stick out the most. And the only character who has to go somewhere um, hellish is the character who deserves to be there. And I thought that was really really interesting, but it really saddened me that, like, Hannah's moment was just the first moment that she ever had with this beautiful man. And they just never got to be in love. And he's gorgeous. Love him in iZombie, too. But um, (laughs) I was just, yeah, I was really saddened by the fact that they, that her character, more than anyone else, really illustrated the way that, possibility was lost for so many of these characters Mm -hmm. the the, the ones who die like you see a lot of them and you know especially for the the child character you have an understanding that they never got to live their lives but I feel like Hannah's loss is really illustrated those moments where Owen invites her to go to Paris or 
you know, she's thinking about what she would do if she were to ever leave Bly Manor. And that really breaks my little heart. We do have to have one important question. We have to address the the mustache in the room. And I want to go around and ask everyone what they thought of Owen's Owen's mustache. I'm a fan of it. Do tell why. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it just fits his vibe. I completely agree with her. He looks fantastic. What's what's his vibe? Walk me through what is Owen's whole situation that he's got going on. He's got puns. I don't know. He's just so wholesome. He deserves to be a dad. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I was interested. We're we're jumping right all the way to the end. Where you see where his character ends up. I don't know. It felt like he was very disconnected from everything. Like he seemed like such a warm person with a lot of love to give that he didn't have his own, not even a romantic partner, but there was no one else there with him. That made me kind of sad. Just because Hannah died. Yeah, but it's it's like one of those things where just because you've lost someone doesn't mean you can't ever love again. That and, depends on the person. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying when when the character that we will discover is, oh, I lost her name. What is it? Hannah? No, the character is the narrator. Oh, it's... Jamie? Thank you, Jamie. Well, sort of when Jamie's telling the story and she, you know, gets around to Owen's loss and you realize that he's actually in the room and that she she really sort of spells it out that he just still loves Hannah, that he <laughs> rode all the way to the coroner's with her body, insisted on cleaning her himself. And then when he finally makes it out, he dedicates his whole little restaurant to her it's kind of a shrine to her his life is kind of a shrine to hannah you're right i just i wanted maybe it's because i wanted more for his character overall like he he very much was sometimes complimentary to other people but i thought he was still great because i hadn't seen any of i zombie basically Mm. um but but now he's going to be in more netflix stuff and and what's fascinating is um what was what was her name because now i've forgotten it too Jamie yeah she's a pretty new-ish actress like she's been in some shorts here or there but like this was kind of her big role and I thought she did really good too I thought everybody did really solid um except for one person I'll mention but they're it's basically a joke because they're barely in the movie or barely in the show but who okay so I'm gonna um did anyone recognize who the fiance was at the end? I guess he was at the beginning, but I didn't notice him at the beginning. I don't think I noticed either. I definitely wasn't paying attention. Okay, so have you seen the greatest movie of all time, The Room? Oh, he's in The Room? Yeah, that's Greg Sestero. That's Mark. Oh, that's (laughs) hilarious. And the reason I noticed it, and this is no disrespect to Greg, because I think he's an interesting guy. I think his book is good. But like his line delivery, where he's checking up on his wife, and he's like, what's the matter? Are you okay? I like heard it. And I was like, where have I heard that voice before? And I was like, oh, my God, it's Mark. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. And I don't want to be mean, because I think it's cool that he's in this. I just was like, wait a minute, this is so random. Like, there's no way it can be. But then I checked, and I was like, oh, boy. I don't know. Maybe he's going to learn to be better. 
I, I think he could be better. I just was like, oh, I immediately noticed it was him. And it might be that he just has been in this like such iconic, terrible pop culture zeitgeist defining bad movie that I will always see that. But the rest of the show, like that's such a small part, but it's just something I had noticed at the end and almost like had to run around the room because I was like, there's no way that this is actually true. Um, I guess as a last note about Owen, I just feel like, I feel like if you go back to the beginning where Owen gives the the speech at the rehearsal dinner, Mm -hmm. it feels so much more connected to his character once you understand who he is. Uh, You know, that he's sort of lighthearted, that he makes terrible jokes, but also that he's already lost the love of his life. Mm-hmm. Like he's like telling this story about maybe you should run for the hills and live your life so that you don't have to watch each other die yeah <laughs> it's so much more knowing the second time around i don't really i didn't feel like he was disconnected from the rest of the story hmm. maybe he i was doesn't just really talk a lot after you know him like he yeah, doesn't really say anything else and yeah. when he does say things it's mostly puns what was, <laughs> what was everyone's favorite pun because there were some some real gems in there I'll call you later. That one was really good. <laughs> it came in such an emotionally heartfelt, like, addendum, like, as an end to when he was like, run away to Paris with me. And then he does, I'll call you later with alcohol. I would have never thought of that. All the other ones, I'm like, oh, ha ha. Alcohol you later really caught me off guard. <laughs> You see, maybe that's why at the end I was like, ah, he doesn't have his mustache. He doesn't do any puns at the end. It's like he's gone. Uh, maybe he forgot too, because he he has the scene where they visit his restaurant and he tells him that everyone else has started to no, forget. No, but he knows. Okay. He forget. And he gives, he gives Jamie that knowing look at the beginning when he talks about watching your love die. Yeah. Yeah. It gets really sad towards the end. I'm not going to lie. It really does. And I, I, for some reason, I actually, I feel like as far as the like tragic lesbian trope goes, this one really broke my heart because I was, I was expecting it. I already saw it coming. I was like, there's no way both of these beautiful, wonderful queer souls get to live. (laughs) And I made it, we made it so far. Not so far. He didn't need to die. Well, a question I would pose is do you think it's a trope because they do get to live out much of their life together? And it isn't that it's sort of just like the the barrier gaze of just like, oh, to kill her to like set off the story. It's no, it's that they build this life together and then that makes it tragic. I still feel like it fits in the trope. Oh, okay. Do you think that's a detriment to the conclusion then? Yes. <laughs> but but I mean, I also think, okay, I feel like there's a balance here. I feel like that part of the plot is interesting and compelling and it gives you a reason to get to watch them live their lives because if there's nothing that comes afterwards, there's not really a point to us watching this whole happily ever after story for them besides that she's got anxiety. But... <laughs> At the same time, I just, I, I kind of had this hope that one day Viola would just take over. Hmm. 
And I guess I just didn't imagine that what she would want to do when she did so was lay at the bottom of a freaking lake. But that's the thing, and that's kind of open to interpretation. I think the person who was doing that was actually Danny, because Danny was kind of holding her back so that she wouldn't take anyone else or hurt anyone else, is what I got from it. I guess I just was hoping that there would be more of Viola's humanity left once she bonded with Danny. She did, I mean, I don't understand why she spent these six years hibernating in Danny's body just to wake up one day and be like, hmm, time to get back to my murdering. I don't really get that. And, it does, and you, they're not going to explain it, which is often my frustration. I know. But I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I just, it doesn't make sense because from the moment that Danny invited her into her body, she really had the option to do what she wanted. It might've been that she was like almost in like a trance. Like it was almost like a deep sleep that she was needing to come out of, that she was tucked away just as everyone else had been, but it like slowly wore her down over time. I mean, that would make sense, but also if she's like, able to recognize those words enough to like go into Danny you'd think that she knew like enough yeah that she had something she wanted to do yeah. like they went all the way to America which is high key where her, the people that she loved also went <laughs> I just thought maybe she had some sort of unfinished business and it that was that was really unsatisfying she just wanted to hang out and have a good time and be a, a weird third wheel to their relationship. Yeah, that's so odd that she just wanted to spy on Danny being happy. You're right, you're right. While, while we're talking about body swapping, I want to hear what people's thoughts were about the first people to body swap, specifically Peter and Rebecca Jessel, because their relationship has a lot going on. Who wants to jump in first? Who wants to tackle that one? You're up, Taya. Um, I think it was really interesting how they went back into that one episode where they kind of explored their relationship and what drove her to like make that decision and to like permanently try to be with him. And I'm glad that they explored her character to the point where she protected. Why am I like blanking on her name? Flora. Flora. Flora yeah. Yeah, that was a good necessary change for her because for a lot of it, I was like, what are you doing? No, like these are the people that you had gotten to know before Peter and that you deeply care for. Don't let don't let this this man be the one, which no no disrespect to the actor, but this is the man that <laughs> This is why I wanted Taya to go first, because fuck Peter Quink. <laughs> fuck him. Fuck that guy. I freaking hate him. And he's so handsome. Ugh, I've seen him in so many chick flicks. And the second I saw his little face, I was like, ooh, la, la. And then he's just terrible. And more than anything, I will never forgive him for killing Miss Jessel. And I don't know how she forgave him so quickly. She, I guess she was just like, I'm already dead. No need for me to stay mad. But she could have. She could have stayed mad for a little bit longer. Because for the most part, she just like mourned her own death. And then still tried to be with Peter in some capacity. And he, first of all, he drowned her. And then he left her to drown alone. <laughs> and then he drowned her in front of a little girl <laughs> on grounds where he knew that she would die. I just, and more importantly, they could leave. 
Well, no, they couldn't at a certain point. It would stop them at the boundary yes, but, of the property. But if Rebecca's alive and he lets her and she lets him come into her body completely, he can leave. That's how Viola left. That's the whole point. That's what she was telling him they could do, that she would just be tucked away in this fantasy of them being together, and then he and she could technically live together in her body. And instead, he drowned her. Obviously, that's bad, but I think it would subsume all of her. It would also be, like, the equivalent of, like, killing her. It would be taking over her entire body. But that's kind of the part that she signed up for. What she didn't sign up for was being drowned in a lake. Yeah, He's not great. He's good at being really despicable. And part of the reason I was struggling to find out why I was like very convinced by that. Did you recognize what he has also been in? It's not a chick flick. Oh, and then I'm probably not going to remember. What? It's it's a movie we've talked about before. It came oh, out this Jesus. year. It was a horror movie. He's he's the husband, the abusive husband in The Invisible Man. Oh, right. oh he sure is. I tell you what, they really... <laughs> They really keep picking really handsome men to be so evil because because the charm doesn't work if he's not that hot. True. Is he that hot? Maybe it's that I'm yes. just like so no, pushed away. But he's like killing everybody left and right. And it's like the the moment where he lashes out at her because she like did the taste test that everybody was doing. I was like, whoa, where is this coming from? Like, I knew he was going to be mad the second he stuck his finger in that bowl instead of tasting it. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was just unsanitary. That was just rude. I was just like, oh, he's, he's low-key demonstrating what he thinks you should have done, and he's going to be mad later. This is toxic. And then they, they try and uh, sort of contextualize it in that he has struggled himself and come from humble means and has like the complicated family life and i thought it was interesting the the fact that he didn't steal the money that it was his mom who had effectively not blackmailed but certainly coerced him into doing it because that that complicated things a little bit but i was still like whoa he's really far gone and was the closest thing i think we have to a villain because even the like spirits in the house they're mostly like disrupted they're not really malicious and intent it's more that they're just kind of lost souls i agree that peter point is a villain but my real villain is still viola how come do say um i actually hated her for real <laughs> um, and part of it is that she just was wholly inconsiderate throughout her entire existence yes but like she's she also was... been trapped in a room for like decades potentially <laughs> No, I don't just mean after she died. I hated okay. living Viola, the whole the whole shebang. Me because too, thank you. Because well, Taya, why did you hate her? She was just like selfish, like especially with her sickness and just trying to be with her daughter and everybody, even though she like knew she couldn't and how dangerous that would be for them. And how she got mad at her sister for just trying to take her role a little bit. I agree and I also feel like she didn't really consider her sister throughout anything like she tried to make it seem like oh this was a family affair at the beginning it seemed like it was they just had each other in the world and still at that point she just never thought that it would be worth anything to ask her sister what she wanted because she married this man who was his her cousin anyway we're not gonna talk about that she married her cousin 
so that she could keep her house. Not because she liked him, because she respected him. None of those things. Like she came to love him later and I get that. But at the beginning, her sister actually liked this man. And it didn't matter which one of them got married. And she just didn't even bother to ask, didn't bother to say anything to her. This is going to be a weird comparison. Um, but have either of you seen the movie The Favorite? Yes. It reminded me a lot of The Favorite, where it's all about power and control, to where they viewed it as if they didn't marry someone that they could kind of have authority over, they could lose everything. And obviously it was the case that her sister could have married, but she wanted to be the one who was tied to him and kind of could have more of the say. And it's that weird balance of like people that you're rooting for and being like, oh, they're they're just trying to make their way in a world that is like very detrimental to their prosperity, but they're also capable of replicating that against other people, which is kind of what ends up happening. She with her personality, she was going to be in charge anyway. You so think? Like, absolutely. And I, I think it's really interesting that her sister did not start hating her at the beginning. Her sister loves her really up until the moment she's like, wow, this woman just is going to not die. And now all of us are going to have to be burdened with her living. <laughs> that's, that's when she changed her tune. And honestly, she put up with it for far too long. I understood why the word was enough. And she should have said it way earlier. Fuck Viola. <laughs> Fuck Peter Quint too. Like. Okay, so those are your two villains. I I then pretty much had everyone else because I had I had called that Miles was not Miles. Like he was obviously a kid who was struggling, and like his his times at the school were not great. But it was mostly him being a, a kid who was experiencing loss and lashing out and just wanted to get home to his sister. But when he came back and was like real assholeish, I was like, okay, there's no way that this kid is suddenly like, well, the smoking was the dead giveaway, but some of the other stuff I was like, ooh, the I mouth felt on like this. The flowers kid. were the giveaway. The flowers were a good one. I thought I viewed the flowers as maybe something that he was lashing out, but some of the comments he begins saying to other people, I was like, whoa. Well, I think they juxtapose the the flashbacks between when he gives her the flowers and when Peter Quint brings Flora the flowers. Right. For Miss Jessel. And I was like, hmm, white and red roses. Interesting, interesting. The one person who was too pure for this world was Flora. Because, like, every time... what What is her phrase that she takes from Miss Jessel? Perfectly splendid. Perfectly splendid. When you, when you hear the origin of that and how she just now says it a lot, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, Flora. You don't really get to know Miles well enough to know whether or not he's sweet. Yeah, it's because he's the one who's being controlled more by Peter. And mm -hmm. that that's terrifying to me. The idea that you're not in control of your body. And as kids, they're sort of like trusting. But that just makes it all the worse that they're willing to trust these people who very clearly don't have their best interests in mind. Sorry, I'm going to say fuck Peter Quint so many times. But also... Why exactly is he flirting with the new au pair? Like, I know he's doing it in a child's body and that's creepy by itself, but why is he flirting with her at all? After he's gone and murdered his girlfriend so they could be together for eternity and he's bringing another woman roses? Now that's that seems really upsetting considering how he reacted to her just tasting some cake batter. 
I think it's because Peter is just a very snarky, self-centered person. <laughs> but this just this so part toxic. doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I think toxic is the right word. Yeah. I think that is the best way. He can't help himself. <sighs> I feel like we're being a little negative on some of the characters because I but I want to say I really liked the show. I did find it to be very different than Hill House, but I still thought it had its own emotional core that I was really connected to with, with the characters. And even if it wasn't a scare a minute, I thought the like general feeling of it and dread that kind of built often was very effective where you weren't sure what it was, but there was just this feeling that everything was a little bit off. And I, I like it, it. I think it addressed an issue that Hill House had also with like um, the sort of exposition. Like, there's a lot of things that happen in Hill House that you don't really understand why or the sort of like etiology of the the horror by the end and I guess I mean that's scary in its own right but I definitely thought it was more interesting to have this sort of looming monster muddy footprints through the house faceless sea witch (laughs) and then to understand at the end who she was I feel like I would have enjoyed to see something like that with the end of Hill House Hill House it was just that it was a haunted house and that's what it was. It had an influence on things. This had more of a backstory. It also had an omnipresent narrator who you then learn has seen all of this. So she has the the knowledge that foresight can bring. And explains the magic of it, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, the magic. I don't want so, this type of magic. <laughs> well, I, do, I was still left with one more question. I don't understand why their uncle is being haunted. Like by himself? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't really explain that. He's not dead, and he's just accepted it. (laughs) I think I have a couple thoughts. It's the first is that it's his own guilt manifesting in the the sort of representation of his worst self, and telling him like, "Oh, see, you're so terrible. You're really just me, and I'm you." And then the other thing I was thinking, and I know. Quinnell, you haven't seen it, but um, oh, what is it? The Doctor Sleep, the mm-hmm. the remake slash not remake, the sequel to um, now I'm forgetting what the original movie was called. What's the original movie called? The Shining. The Shining. Oh boy, and it it was about his own alcoholism and struggle with substance which it's interesting that um flanagan has a lot of those repeated themes kind of echoing throughout so it might have also been that he was effectively drinking so much that he was having blackouts and hallucinations and that was kind of filling in the gaps because he was drinking so much like all the time i think that's what it could be because he wasn't ever on the grounds while that was happening he was away in his office by himself. Yeah. I really liked it, though. I, I did, too. I just felt like it was the one part that wasn't really explained. But at the same time, he suffered a lot of the similar symptoms of other people who were being tucked away. Mm-hmm. Where he was being forced to relive these moments. Except the that there was this, yeah. Except that there was this puppet master who was particularly entertained by his suffering. 
but the mm-hmm. puppet master was really himself. It was like he couldn't forgive himself for what he had done, which was pretty yeah. bad. I'm not going to lie, but. I think it was worse that he abandoned those kids, that they were right. trying to call him to tell him to tell them that something was going wrong. Honestly, villain number three. Um, <laughs> they tried to tell him and he really could have, you know, gone to check things out, especially considering that Flora is his kid. It would be different if it was just your brother's kids, but those are your kids. You're supposed to go check on your child. I think that was the tragedy of it, of he couldn't forgive himself, and that made him continue to repeat some of the same mistakes, which is be dishonest and distant and hurt the family that he did obviously care about. But I think what makes that so effective and so tragic is that people can very much love people very deeply and still hurt them just as deeply as well and I don't know it it got me there were moments where I was like this is this is hitting home and did you did either of you recognize I know he was in um Hill House but do you know who he is the the uncle not really I don't think I've seen him in many other things I think I have seen him in other things but I just can't remember okay do any of you ever remember a movie that came out way long ago in 1982? It features a kid, and there's a bike, and there's oh, a little alien. Yeah, E.T. Yeah, that's the kid from E.T. It's Henry yeah. Thomas. That yeah. Makes sense. And every I know time... I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. for sure. But it's just always funny where I'm like, oh my God, that's the, because then I feel super old, because I didn't see it when it came <laughs> out, but I saw it a bunch as a kid, and now I'm like, oh my God. Now he's playing the older uncle father figure. I don't like it. I, I mean, Drew Barrymore is also a child in that movie. That's true, but I don't mean to be mean. Drew Barrymore doesn't seem as old as Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas seems <laughs> yeah. a little older. <laughs> I mean, I think it's because she stopped acting before she could get old on screen. She just sort of slowed down so we wouldn't have to watch her age. But now she has a talk show, apparently. Seems appropriate. Getting yeah. getting back on track, what what were some other things that people liked about it or didn't like or just other thoughts that they had? I liked how the story unraveled kind of more gradually and how they kind of uncovered the mysteries in the story just slower than Hill House. Mm-hmm. It really took its time. What were some of the mysteries that got you? Um, Hannah Gross, like her death, and then everything with Miles and also Danny's previous boyfriend like his death oh we haven't even talked about that at all do you want to explain what that is yeah like what about it what what is exactly happening for for those people that maybe are listening and don't fully understand or haven't seen it yet um so mainly she's just haunted by this guy with like really bright glasses and she's seen him like before she moved into Bly Manor, but he's kind of followed her there as well. And they kind of go in depth in explaining her relationship with him and why she's so haunted by this guy. And what I had been thinking is, and this might have been because we watched Ratchet, but that's a a much inferior show compared to this. Sorry, Ratchet fans. But I had thought maybe their relationship was going to be that it was a cover, that they were again both not straight but then one of them just one of them and she also similarly blamed herself but it wasn't entirely her fault 
and it's not her fault at all. He really just shouldn't have stepped onto the street like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad circumstance that then she took on for herself when in reality, that's kind of the the poetic tragedy of it all is that things like that can happen. It very well could have been that she never told him and then the next week he stepped out just like he did and the same thing happened. Or her telling him actually could have saved him. It's like impossible for her to have known how fate would play out that way. But ooh, every time she would look in the mirror. She was just going to marry this man. She was just going to marry a man and like hope that one day she was just going to be attracted to men. And that just hurts my little heart. (laughs) I mean, it's not entirely uncommon people marrying someone because they're sort of thinking it's the right thing to do. And they may care and love for them, just not in that way. And then they sort of settle. Yeah, but it was just like a crazy analogy to just being pressured into straightness for me. That... That... (laughs) As kids, everybody thought they were going to turn out together. And she probably knew she didn't like that boy from the moment she dared him to kiss her. She was probably like, oop, that's not it. And he was like, oh, wait, nope, I'm in love now. Yeah. Puppy. That that story, I was like, uh-oh. Also, I did like that they had both the like wedding reception or like rehearsal dinner in the same place that they had the funeral. But I was like, wow, this is a really small group of people, and I don't see any of her friends there. I was, like, picking up on stuff like that where I was like, where's the people she knows and cares about? Well, she didn't really have people, it felt like. Yeah, I know. Which is why she was able to kind of uproot everything to go to London and then just take this job. She just sort of disappeared into his life, and then when he died, she just had to go somewhere else. Or she was going to be stuck in this life that she was trying to get out of to begin with. You're right. What was the thing you were going to say? Because as soon as I said, do people have other thoughts? You almost like fell off your couch or wherever you're sitting. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that Henry Thomas is also in another film that we've talked about on the show. What is um, it? It's also a horror movie of Gerald's Game. Oh, and so is uh, Carla Cugino, I think is her name. Yeah, she's not in this season, is she? No, she's no house. She's the narrator. She's oh, the oh, omniscient. Right. yeah. Oh, her hair looks fantastic. They really <laughs> did a number on her little face with that haircut. But yeah, she's the creepy pedophile dad. Yeah, I have not seen that. I think yet still. Ah, uh, Gerald's game. Yeah, I haven't one. seen it either. <laughs> it's where she gets tied to a bed and gets stuck there, and then that's. Oh. Yeah. Well, she doesn't get tied to a bed like, you know, against her will. She and her it's husband decide that they're going to try to spice things up mostly by his um it's his idea for the most part. Um but you know, she goes along with it and they end up in the middle of the woods in like this house and you can't hear anything for miles and he ties her up and then he has a heart attack and dies. Literally and the worst. Stuck tied to this bed. And in the meantime, she is being both internally and externally haunted. He also was in uh, Doctor Sleep at one point, very briefly. Because what was interesting in Doctor Sleep is they recast a bunch of the roles. They don't just use old footage. So they had him play Danny's father at the bar. And you only see his face like full on one time. He was good. He was creepy. Mm-hmm. and then also the mom from that was in this and she's the mother in this and I thought she did good too because I don't know 
it could have very easily been that they sort of like demonize her and like blame her as well but it was that her husband had been gone for so long and it's like trying to understand i think that's the biggest thing is mike flanagan is able to understand deeply flawed people and bring them down from being like oh someone you can just point at and say well they're awful and be like well they're just like us too like people have made these mistakes and have these deep deep flaws but they're still people and understanding them i think is is pretty impressive that he's able to pull that off even if i'm like real sad about it sometimes are are there any other sort of last closing thoughts feelings i know you had mentioned the the score in your piece did you want to talk about that i just think it went really well with the story like it's so haunting and like beautiful and i think it's really also like anxiety provoking at times i think they just did a really good job with it and they also did hill house i think and possibly dr sleep Mm -hmm. and the piano theme is similar at times but they put that twist on it but it's still like really really gets you that like very simple theme that keeps coming in oh i liked it I, I still really liked it i think the the anthology nature of this type of show is really interesting and could work and what's that other horror anthology show that also has sarah paulson in it that i have not seen american um, horror story american horror story yeah mm-hmm. I've heard some people say positive things about that, but Depends I've heard on the season. Yeah, that's what I've heard that some seasons are just like totally skippable, and I would say both of these seasons at least thus far seem to indicate he could do a new anthology of each type of new horror story with its own origins and new characters and it could really work and even recast some of the people. Um cuz I thought um oh geez, what's her name? Uh, I thought Danny was really good. I thought she was like a really good combination of being like very stern, but still caring for the kids, but like still vulnerable. And obviously that she gets the worst end of it is just really tough because I don't want to say she was the best among them, but she was sort of the, the most compassionate at times and willing to really stick her neck out for other people even if it put herself at risk i also felt like she was the most innocent Mm -hmm. character like she she sort of walked into these other people's nightmare and then just had to walk out with the nightmare inside of her which is horrifying also um i don't know how i feel about this weird character choice that she decided to make with her voice yeah i was gonna ask about accents in general because are you talking about the like pitch and register of her voice? Yeah, that she because you know obviously I've seen her in other things most recently in you, mm-hmm. um, and she just does a thing I guess to differentiate between you know other characters that she's played. It, it's not I don't know that strange to choose to speak differently. Mm-hmm. It's like the breathiness that she went with that really. It really threw me off about whether or not that was a good character choice. I'm not sure. People people do try and do that where it's like they don't want to just talk the same. And she wasn't the only one doing different voices. Cause sometimes like um Peter's accent, I'd be like, What is that accent? Where are we? And I think the best person who had the accent was Owen, but that's because 
the actor is actually I don't know is it is it English would be the right thing Mm -hmm. he grew up there and I don't know it's like other people it would be like they were leaning into it just a little bit too much but you kind of you kind of get the feel for it and it doesn't so is Peter what do you mean the actor who plays Peter he his accent sounded a little bit strange to me for some reason yeah I think it's because he's an Englishman doing a Scottish accent okay (laughs) which is different for sure oh boy it wasn't it wasn't terrible there are times where I've heard accents where I was like whoa boy that could ruin it for me but it never was like too off-putting and I think Hannah had a little bit of an accent but the the actress from that had been in this really good show called Years and Years which I imagine I'm the only one that's seen because no one saw that show but it was good um and she was good in it too but she had the a similar accent in that I don't know I think I think Danny's breathy voice it could have been that it was like she was kind of always very flustered she was in a new situation was very unsure about what was going on but she was never like without agency or didn't know what was going on or didn't have her own sort of no, I, control I, I over think the situation it was like an acting choice it just seemed it seemed strange to me that she tried it out and decided to keep it <laughs> that's all so that's the note you would have offered on set how about we just like change your voice really quick don't go with that like like maybe maybe something well just because it's so there are just moments where it's so childlike Mm-hmm. to the point where it's not believable hmm. like her accent is already kind of strange because she's doing this sort of like you know like an all-american accent like newscasters do where you can't really place what part of america she's from so like mm-hmm. sometimes she kind of slips into something a little southern and sometimes it's a little like northeastern and that's fine but it's just these moments where she's she's like oh i don't know and it's just so soft and like childlike that i don't and then she slips out of it so quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just don't feel like it was consistent enough that I, I don't think I would have gone with it. But it was an interesting choice for her to sustain throughout the entire season. Because mm-hmm. she didn't do that in Hill House because she was Nell in Hill House. Yeah, she doesn't do it in you. It's definitely just like a choice that she made just for this character. <laughs> That's fair. She was really good in Hill House, though, too. I thought her episode, the the Bent Neck Lady episode, is still the most horrifying episode of any of them so far. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite of that season. The the reveal of that, I've still gone back to it, and I'm like, that just was unmatched. And I don't think there's anything that particularly comes close scare-wise in this, but I think that's okay. For some people who go into it and are like, well, this isn't very scary at all, I don't know. Quinnell, <laughs> I don't want to call you out. Your 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 boyfriend is a scaredy person. Do you think yes, he would get a big scaredy person? Do you think he, he was scared? We watched it actually. He got scared? Okay. Well then we I guess Black Banner. But more than anything, I think he definitely found it more unsettling. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that he would have been able to handle the jump scare in Hill House. I think that would have <laughs> He would have been really upset at me. He would have looked at me and been like, why? Which is kind of what he did at the end of each episode. But I don't think that he was ever, you know, like startled. I think he was just deeply, deeply unsettled. That's fair. And I think that the scariest character was still Viola coming out of that lake. Oh, yeah. And I think that was like really good. I was trying to figure out how much of it was 
makeup or how much of it was special effects. And I think it might've been a bit of both, but it was, it was good. And just like how, like, I think a lot about how physicality of actors, like whoever was doing that was doing a really good job of just like pulling along, seeming like it was almost like it was a nuisance. Like they didn't even notice that they're just dragging this person along. It was frightening. Was. It's, it's just like, there weren't as many moments that kind of, stand out in my mind like a bent neck lady moment but that's because of how that flipped and the realization of who was the bent neck lady is what really gets you and just her delivery of the lines when she realizes what's happening that's that's one i would lose sleep over i'm trying to think in this one it might honestly be hannah's situation that kind of sticks with me more just because that's kind of similar of how she oh was when lost. hannah falls down that well and then when it's revealed that that was the first time the new au pair showed up. Yeah. But honestly, the, her face when she when she really falls and she breaks her neck, I it it messed with me. It kept me up a little while. There's something about just sort of the angle and the recognition that throughout the first half of the season, she keeps asking Jamie, or not keeps, she asks Jamie to address this crack in the wall. And Jamie goes to look at it, and there's this long shot of this wall without a crack in it. And you're just like, well, what's this shot here for? It's that and then her when you reality is falling apart. And that this crack is following her throughout her sort of hallucinations. Heartbreaking. And when you see her little head bent into that angle, it, I didn't like that. That was close for me. I just want her to go to Paris with Owen. Me too. Me too, and I guess we just couldn't have two two happily ever afters, but... We didn't even really have two, because uh, the Gardner and Poppins didn't really have a happy ending. Either. Yeah, but you know what Flora said, it's a love story. You're right. And there is there is the literal final shot, which seems to kind of indicate that there is this connection that she still has. And I liked it. It was a, it was a good little final shot. I think I think Mike Flanagan is a softy. I think he's a real old bear in heart and just all about the emotional stuff. But I liked it. I like kind of that sensibility because oftentimes horror can feel cold. But I think having a strong series of characters to connect to, that gives you some sort of rooting for and connection to them that you really don't want to see them get hurt or put in danger. And when they inevitably do, it gets you. It gets you. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of my better shows of the year thus far. Yeah. But honestly, I think I think that about does it, unless there are any closing thoughts, anything people are doing or, or want to share. I'll obviously link to the your piece about uh, Fly Manor that you wrote that I really liked, and everyone should go read that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think it's weird that we never saw the, the plague doctor. The what? The plague doctor. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> exactly. The who. Where, where has he been? Yeah, they did show him at the end when everybody was kind of like fading away. Yeah, and they show him when she kills him. But where has he been for the rest of the time? Everyone else we've met. He's been know, out playing golf in the backyard. Just it's just out. so strange because Flora's little faceless friend, we meet him. Yeah. And then... These, what is it, the plague doctor and the priest? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
where have they been lurking exactly are they all just chilling in the attic together or they they have game night up there they just play cards and stuff i've just i'm so confused also i'm confused about the i don't know if confused is the word i just would like to have had a little bit more exposition about the details of how much they forget because i feel like they made it seem like viola forgot everything except her rage like well, other than that there were little flashbacks but flora is having full-on conversations yeah it's because she was being taken over i think uh the woman in the lake was just slowly losing sense of who she was and was only able to focus and keep going on this one sole emotion but she forgot even why she was doing it at a certain point she just remembered like kid and angry and that was it that was but all her sister was has her. been dead for almost as long right and it's strange to me that it feels like perdita can communicate in some way with flora yeah I don't know. I think I think that's something we could ask Mike. Mike, if you're listening, come on the the podcast, answer questions. Quinell will just have a whole list. She'll unroll it. And it'll go all. I on the always floor. have so many. <laughs> no plot hole gets by me anyway. <laughs> but I think it's less of a plot hole and more of kind of mysterious motivations because it does answer a lot of them, but it does leave a lot of things up in the air. It just seems inconsistent to have that moment where where. Flora has been warned about the lady in the lake that she needs to avoid her. It doesn't seem to me that she's been warned by Miss Jessel because if that was the case, that would be make more sense because Miss Jessel still has her wits about her. But she's clearly been warned by Perdita when they're playing hide and seek. Perdita's in the background singing and she's like, shh. So they have a, a friendly rapport. And that little boy too, like he died around the same time. Yeah, and he he seems to show up, and he knows he's a kid, and she talks to him, and I don't know, he just doesn't seem as empty as they made Viola seem. Hmm. I don't know. That's my last note. I just, you know, full of questions. I think it's good to have the questions. Maybe it'll be something that, at some point, he he tells us more about who it is, or we get more insights. Um, But that will have to be a conversation for another day. Thank you both for for talking with me. And we just rambled about Bly Manor for so long. It it was a good time. Absolutely. And thank you you so much, Taya, for coming on our show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone who's listening along right now. Um, We'll be back probably next week doing what we do. I hope everybody has a, a good weekend, stays safe, stays healthy. And yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, next week will be our last spooky episode. So talk to you guys later. Bye, all. Bye.